Hello, legends. Welcome to today's show. Catching up with Cub, as always, is brought to you by Cub, the Club United Business, Australia's number one members club connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. And today, we're catching up with Cub member Michael Crapp, the CEO of Avcom, a second-generation family business that started in 1981. Avcom is the longest-standing privately-owned satellite communication company in Australia and, under Michael's leadership, have recently moved into the space and defence world. Michael is just 34 and having taken over the business from his father, he's tasked with being a key pioneer of the Australian space industry. We had a brilliant conversation where he taught me all about Australia's space agency and the impact that the space industry has on us as consumers, which turned out to be a lot. But me and Michael also spoke a lot about people, about the importance of having a loving partner to support you through business and having a strong team that have ownership over the business and are passionate about what they do. Me and Michael also discussed what it's like getting into business at a young age and having to work your way up. It was a great episode. Honestly, I could have spoken for another hour. Enjoy the show. you a podcast listener before you were a cub member? I was just before I became a cub member. My wife originally suggested cub um, as, a, as a group that I might you know join and find some like-minded people trying to help me with some of the kind of uh, problems or challenges I was facing and so I, I kind of researched the web and I found the podcast and so I started to listen to a few of the, the very early episodes and and that really resonated with me and, and it clicked you know Did listening it? to some of the challenges. I mean some of the first things that were said, it was about every gift is wrapped in a problem and that resonated with me because yeah, yeah, yeah. So every time we kind of had a success That's in right, the business, yeah. we would win a contract, we'd win a deal, you know, you celebrate and then you realise, oh, wait, hang on a minute, <laughs> now we've actually got to get down to business and how are we going to do that and who are we going to bring in to do this? And so I was like, that's exactly what kind of was happening with me and then the, the, you know, the, the ethos of the club, was club of bringing everybody together um, so that we can share our experiences in this kind of trust zone. That worked for me because, you know, so much in business I find that when you talk to other business owners, there's a little bit of holding your cards to your chest. You don't necessarily want to share your secret source or give anyone an advantage. And Cub creates an environment for me that whenever I speak to someone, I feel that's very genuine. It's a trust. I'm, I'm quite happy to share. They're quite happy to share. And I think that's very unique. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, on the topic of uh, people not sharing their secret source, regarding business. I agree. But one thing I've been trying to push lately even more, because still at Cub, like if people are, uh, obviously you're in the space industry, so you probably don't have that many competitors at Cub, but but for people that are in uh, com- common industries, um, trying to get people to understand or at least uh, embody a culture of uh, sharing is definitely hard because people, I'm not saying that's a widespread thing, but what I'm trying to say, what I'm trying to get people to realise is, well, you should be helping each other because there's more people in your type of business outside of the club, you know. Absolutely, and stronger you, together. Exactly. If you're sharing knowledge and you're making making each other stronger, if I'm if, if I'm a digital marketing agency, I can speak to another digital marketing agency and share what we do, share what works well, share what does. It's a huge market. You haven't got enough staff to serve the whole market anyway. Yeah. You may as well work together. And, and perfect your businesses as a, like a digital marketing team. Well, you might be able to find your edge. And I was listening to one of the other podcasts just in preparation for this. And I think someone who said we had a marketing company that specialised in just doing doctors. Mm. I thought, oh, that's a really clever idea. 
Yeah, getting niche. You know, just, yeah, pick a niche and go down that path. And so even if you do find competitors, you can still pick up great ideas along the way and differentiate yourself. Yeah, exactly. I just think it's a huge-ass market. Like, um, and there's more of there's more competition outside of the club as there is in the club. You may as well make a team in the club. Yeah, absolutely. You know, whether you're in club or not, I mean, most listeners aren't. But but uh, you know, coming together with a group with peers that are uh, doing something the same or similar to you is probably a good thing. I would argue gives you some good perspective. You know, when you kind of have to explain your business to other people, and sometimes you start to see it from a different way and. You know, maybe you realise something that you do that you didn't realise you do that adds benefit. And, yeah. Exactly. And so your wife found Cub or what What was her name? Uh, Camellia. Camellia. So she found Cub? She did find Cub, yeah. She suggested it to me probably a few years before I joined um, and I think I think she knew one of the kind of founding members or there was something, some alignment there and I think she's seen me over the years of our relationship kind of struggle with, you know, who do you talk to about your problems you can't talk to your staff, obviously, because you don't want to either talk it up too much or talk it down too much. Your family are kind of there, very supportive, but sometimes you don't quite get the you don't critical bring it home. feedback. And you don't want to bring it home, I feel, you sometimes. always want to have to come home and mm. say, oh, honey, what do you think I should do about this or why are you so stressed? And so I think she saw Cub as you know, a place where I could go and meet other people and realise that the problems that I was having or the opportunities that I saw weren't unique to me and that you know everyone's probably been there before and – you talk to the right people, you'll be able to get good advice and yeah. you don't have to stress about it. You don't have to bring take so much of it inside. Yeah, community. And, it's obvi- I mean, you obviously have an extremely smart wife. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. But you know how common that is? How many episodes do we have where someone's like, oh, my partner told me about Cub, but they recommend I join. We should probably start marketing like partner campaigns. You know, like you, tell, your, tell your wife or your husband that's a business owner to get involved in the community, give them the support. They'll thank you for it. Um but, um, I mean, speaking about relatability, what you do is pretty actually unique. Um, as a business owner, we relate and me and you are the same. But you're, um, you're, I mean, would you call it you're in this, I mean, you're in the satellite, ground satellite space business or? We'd say we're in the, in the space industry and our kind of our corner of the space industry is in the ground segment. And, you know, most of the time when I say the ground segment, people kind of look at me with a bit of a confused look like, like you are now. And so what I mean by that is um, if you think the movie, the Australian movie, The Dish, or any of the kind of sci-fi movie you've seen with big satellite dishes, and those are the kind of satellite dishes that my team builds and operates and maintains all around the Asia-Pacific region. And those satellite dishes are used to communicate with satellites in orbit. And most of the time they're providing services that people use every day but we just don't realise it. So anything from the GPS on your phone um, to, you know, mobile reception in uh, remote areas to uh, monitoring our borders, um, you know, defence, meteorological applications, you know, we're using satellites every day and most of the time people don't realise that. And you're producing them. Absolutely. So, you know, I've got a lot of smart people that are working on our team and, and we're trying to deliver those systems for Australians and it's really exciting at the moment because we've got a lot of attention being brought in to, um, particularly from the kind of state and federal government side of things. Yeah, it's a bit of a, like a sexy space at the moment. Yeah, it <laughs> is. It's, it's in vogue, you know. It's yeah, a very much, it is you know, and it's been in vogue once before, you know. Spoke. We've had this before, yeah. You know, try to take <laughs> it's, it's, it's very exciting, you know. We have to try and take this advantage and, and turn it into something that's sustainable and that's that's kind of part of our mission is to, to make sure that we, while we've got the attention of the government and they want to build sovereign capabilities and they want to build Australian companies because before – we had this attention. We relied on 
um, basically our satellite communications technologies and resources a lot from our from our um, allies, you know, within America, whether it be from Europe, and and I think COVID nineteen and the change in geopolitical situation has made the government, various governments, realise that we now need to have the capability to do these things ourselves. It's yeah. no good if we rely on uh, weather data from a from a Japanese weather satellite because we might not be able to access that in the future. It's and interesting how that happened, isn't it? It's kind of like everything went not anti-globalization, but everything was like, oh, you know what, we want, we want most things in-house. Yeah, <laughs> you, know, like, you know, the beginning of our career, it was very commoditized. It was, you know, everything, if you could buy it a dollar cheaper from another vendor, you would do that and you could bring that part in and it was, it was a fairly low-value transaction. But now with the, uh, the way that the ethos is changing to kind of do it all ourselves, it's different. The perception of value has become much more than just the cost of it. Because just because you can buy it at a cheaper price, if it can't be delivered to you when you need it, then it's essentially worthless. Yeah, and I think, I mean, in the, like, Kumbaya world where, um, yeah, everyone's happy, hey, China, what's happening? Russia, let's go to dinner. Let's have a good time. Yeah, in, that, in that world, in theory, yeah, that works. Okay, you know, provide me this at a good price and we'll do that. You've, you're the best at that, so you do that and I'll do this because I'm the best at this. That, that works in theory if everyone's playing ball and happy and ethical and moral and, you know, but the reality is it's just not how the world works. It's not how it works in from human to human and it's certainly not how it works from country to country. Yeah, things so, are changing, that's for sure. Yeah, well, I'm, and so I think people have just realised like, oh, whoa, shit, you know, we could lose food <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or, I mean, or, or light. Who would have thought that the thing that would break the supply chain in Australia was toilet paper? You know, in a, in a, in a pandemic you thought it might have been masks or medication but no it was toilet paper that's what did it so you know it's, it's the little things that are that are kind of the problem that we haven't ever thought about yeah what do you mean by broke the um uh, what'd you say about toilet paper broke the well there was the mad rush where everyone went down yeah, the shopping center no and they couldn't get enough toilet paper and they had to put limits on it and things like that i mean who would have thought that that was the commodity that we would run out of or would be the challenge oh, yeah. that we needed to overcome you know you just wouldn't <laughs> yeah. have thought it would be that but when you think in hindsight you're like holy shit yeah that's probably the most important thing i don't want to walk around sh you know shit everywhere <laughs> like it kind of is the most basic human other than like i was stocking up on canned tuna just in case we went canned into tuna, yeah, full, good, yeah good call canned tuna and that basmati rice in the little <laughs> you put in the microwave. the microwave for a couple yeah. minutes, yeah. No. yeah. <laughs> Chili I, sauce. I remember my bachelor days well. One pot dinners, you know, minimal <laughs> washing up, whatever you can do. How long have you been married now? Uh, this is uh, fourth year. Oh, how old are you? 34. Oh, geez, shit. So you're, you're, you're 34 and you're, uh, you own and operate at, at well, what's called, what was AVCOM and is now AVCOM Space and Defence. Is that yep. correct? Yeah, so we say at AVCOM. Oh, so sorry, the, the, the kind of origins of the name is uh, the first product that the company ever made was an, a low fuel warning uh, device for a, for a particular type of helicopter. Uh, and so aviation communication, so AVCOM was kind of where the name comes from. And so originally, yeah, AVCOM, um, start, my father started that back in 1981. Uh, and just now in the last kind of six months, we've started to rebrand into AVCOM Space and Defence so that uh, we can specialise in, in the Australian space ecosystem and really communicate that you know, to, to everyone that's in the industry, that that's, that's what we're doing now. And tell me about your father. What, what made him get into that space and, and how did that happen? So my, my father was one of those fortunate people that turned his hobby into his business. Um, so he had a, a, a successful career working, um, you know, as a middle manager at Dick Smith's and 
he kind of finished up his role there and he thought about what am I going to do next? And, you know, he was playing around with amateur radio and, and satellites were just starting to kind of be launched and used for commercial purposes. And so he kind of got involved with receiving television channels from these satellites that, you know, that weren't really meant to be received here. So it was quite exciting back then to be able to receive TV from different parts of the world because, you know, you really didn't get a lot of variety. There's no internet, there's no Netflix, there's no nothing like that. So he then turned that into a business and realised that you could receive TV from all around the world and started to sell systems that would enable people to be able to receive those channels. And they weren't supposed to be received at that yeah, time? some of them we would say they're like intercepted. Yeah. You know, but, but then as that <laughs> as the satellite's capabilities, well, it was kind of a bit more of a cool thing, you know, you, you know, would receive something you're not supposed to and, you know, that was I think that kind of added to the complexities and the challenges of it and what kept him hooked as he kind of developed the business out. And so he was literally just figuring out how to intercept TV channels and then – uh, over uh, international TV networks and things, and then he turned that into a, a business of which does oh, just that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That. So basically, it started off just selling the equipment that you use to to receive that kind of channels. Yeah. So what I'm talking about is when you know, let's say CNN sent something to Channel Nine in Australia, they'd send it over a satellite. Now Channel Nine could receive that in Australia, but so could Gary Gratt. <laughs> and so that's kind of where the interception component came from. But as it started off, it was just supplying hardware and installing hardware for the domestic market. That's really people in their homes. Um, and then it moved into kind of hotels and things. So I'm sure you've stayed in a hotel where they might have international news channels, and whether it be Al Jazeera or the BBC, things like that. They're often brought in by satellite. Uh, and then the business evolved a little bit more. We started working closer with, with some of the government, some of the telecommunications service providers. Um, and so the market moved from being about television to being about data. And now, now everything's about data, whether it's TV. You know, Netflix is essentially data that's streamed over the internet, but it's, it's TV in inverted commas. And how does that differ from like satellite? So the satellite's really just like a node that's in orbit around the Earth. And Sorry for of, the stupid question. No, no, well. no, not, I'm, not stupid. I'm a at all. novice in this in the satellite space. So what we do is we we use the satellite to basically bounce the signal, for lack of a better word, back down. So. You know, the curve of the earth means we can't, you know, see straight through to what might be where we want to go. So we go up to the satellite, which is in orbit, uh, typically in geostationary orbit, which is 33,000 rough kilometres above the earth, which is quite a long way. It's about a tenth the way to the moon. And, and from there, that we, we come back down to it pretty much any location that we need to on the earth. Wow. So satellites technically work for, in regarding communication. They work around the world because the world's round, you can't shoot straight to each other, so you have to shoot out, yeah. hit a really high point, and then Come kind of like in. a geometry yeah, like, at, yep. in year eight, you know, and then shoot out and what's that called, a bit of a cute angle, shoot back in. Exactly, exactly. Actually, the concept was uh, a concept of using satellites to communicate everywhere on Earth was uh, developed by a guy called Arthur C. Clarke, who was a science fiction writer, but he kind of came up with the idea because all good science fiction is kind of closely related to, to science and physics, so he worked this out, and then a few... And smart people went, hang on a minute, we could probably put something in orbit here and, and actually make this work. And so the first satellites were exactly that. They were just big mirrors in space. Isn't that amazing though? Like how – what I – like what you just said, someone at one point literally – that what's his name, that guy? Uh, he literally was just like, okay, how can we get a signal from here to here? Well, we can't do it this way, but imagine if we could shoot it out and then back in. It's just like it actually makes – almost common sense when you think about it other than 
you know, my novice ass brain would have been like, oh, but how can something be floating out there? Other than that part, the, the, the concept of, yep, shoot it out to a point of which can reach somewhere else in the earth does yeah, make they, logical they, sense. They you can see how they got, well. you can see how they got there. And they, there's a, it's a bit more complicated than that, but you know, essentially, you know, gravity's pulling everything down to Earth, um, but then centrifugal force is throwing things out. So because the Earth is rotating, it's got centrifugal force. So the geostationary orbit, which I talked about before, where the satellites sit there, that's pretty much where the gravity force equals the geo, the, the centrifugal the spinning force. force. Yeah, and so the satellites ah. almost sit there. So they worked out that if have it a little bit lower, the satellites fully fall back to Earth, a little bit higher, and they'll keep going away from you. This is a little equilibrium. Is that how they make it stay? Yeah, pretty much. They have, um, you know, rocket orbital engines on board to keep them all pointed in the right direction. But roughly speaking, they, they stay there using very little fuel and sense why they can last kind of 15, 20, 25 years out there. Wow. And um, are they – so, the, for example, the satellites you use your, your that your satellites shoot to – are they Australian-owned satellites or are these random satellites, like d- does everyone share satellites? The, they're not Australian satellites yet. We're kind of hoping that that's where we're going to get to in the next few years. At the moment, a lot of the companies, the major operators are based in the US or in Europe um, and we buy capacity from them, kind of like a wholesale kind of retail market and then what we do with that capacity is kind of our secret source to deliver to our customers. Oh, okay. But it's a, it's very expensive to put a satellite up in geostationary orbit. You're talking anywhere from five hundred million to a billion dollars, and an asset that lasts kind of twenty years. So, it's um it's a it's a very you got to have a lot of skin in the game. You have got to have a lot of capital intensive kind of business to to make that happen. Um, and so now is it mostly got, governments doing it, or are they private uh, or private? Start off being governments. Pretty much governments were the only people that could afford to put things up there, um, and then as I think kind of capitalism or you know, globalisation had developed, those um, governments kind of stepped away and private companies were able to raise the capital and, and you know, attract the right people to operate them. And, and now they're available kind of really as a commercial entity. And now you've got companies um, like SpaceX and, um, you know, other companies that are launching their own satellites faster than ever before. So it's really come – it started in the realm of governments and now it's in yeah, the it's, private individuals. And it's interesting that trend. It's big, exactly what you're saying. Governments were the only ones uh, that were almost big enough, had enough capital to, to – and have, had and, enough resources. And the resource. risk appetite to do it as well. Yeah. Well, they didn't care about losing the money. It wasn't theirs. Oh, exactly. So, <laughs> so, so uh, but, but now, uh, just because companies themselves are getting so large – uh, they, they're just getting into these spaces. And, and because they're companies, not governments, they're more efficient. Uh, they attract better talent. They attract everything. And, and the, um, one would assume they're just going to do better than was ever than what was yeah, ever done. Yeah, the space industry is accelerating away at a rapid pace now. Yeah, business. See, that's some business. Some of the secret sources have been you know, unlocked and then you know, we've got some really smart engineers coming up with all the solutions and you know, it's no longer, no longer the realm of big governments. And so you're a scientist? No, no, I have a, I have a business background. Oh. <laughs> I probably could have been an engineer. A lot of the, a lot of the people I talked to said, oh, you, you could have either gone down either path. But anyway, I went down the business path. But I got a background in project management, which kind of keeps me grounded. And, and I'm a bit of a self-confessed nerd, so I like to I like to stay across all the technical side of it as well, even yeah. if I don't necessarily understand all of it. And so tell me, when you were a kid, were you, were you um, always tight with your old man and he was kind of showing you the ropes? Or how did you kind of get into the business? Um. I wasn't all that tight. I always saw my father as operating a business and I kind of thought that operating a business seemed to give him freedom and, and I liked that component of it. But I started Avcom 
basically out of high school. You know, I, I went to schoolies for a couple of days and quickly ran out of money, so decided I needed to kind of hit the old old man up for a job. So flew straight down to Sydney because I grew up in Brisbane. And, um, you know, day, day or two later, I was uh, in the uniform uh, at work, kind of earning a, a couple of dollars an hour or whatever it was, you know, 12 bucks an hour or something back then. So, um, And it took me probably a few years of just kind of floating around the business, doing odd jobs before I really kind of found anything that, that I kind of took a bit of passion and a bit of pride in. And I tried, you know, leverage that pride into, you know, kind of experimenting on what I could do, what problems could I solve or what product could I sell to a customer and kind of ex- experiment around um, like that for a while. A few opportunities kind of came our way and, um, you know, I saw that taking the risk and saying yes was probably not as scary as I thought it was. And, and In what regard? So the, the risk of saying yes to what? Well, to try because and, I came in the business and it kind of very much at the bottom. I didn't you – know, everything was new to me as I kind of worked my way up. So if an opportunity came along, you know, you had to – if you committed to your customer, you needed to be able to deliver that. And so sometimes you might not have all the answers and so you, you commit with an 80% you know, certainty that you can get there and you've got to make sure that you can figure out the other 20% on the way through. So it was getting the confidence to kind of say yes to bigger and, and to better commit. things. Yeah. And that's just because of the Take nature of, of your business though. It's, a, it's obviously an incredibly co- complex – yeah, very t- technically complex business. Mm. Um, and so what's the model then? So how does it work? Do you, are you selling uh, hardware in, you know, is it like uh, selling a Mac or are you selling like um, software like uh, Adobe when you pay Photoshop X number of dollars, I think, or is it both? We kind of yeah, incorporate both. So well, one, one part of our business just sells hardware to people and so we'll sell that hardware to people who know what to do with it and that might be kind of like a Telstra or an Optus or a TPG or something like that along those lines. And then we've got other customers who might be kind of a remote mine site or a shipping company or an airline that they just need connectivity. So we'll provide them a service. And it's in that sense, it's just that a monthly fee like the Adobe product you mentioned. So the airline might need a connection to or communication with X and you guys, are they're yeah. paying you a monthly fee to have the ability to communicate. Yeah, exactly. With X. I mean, every time you've got on a Qantas flight, you know, the in-flight Wi-Fi, mm-hmm. that's using satellites to provide that internet. So you can't connect a cable and, and fly the plane with a big cable hanging behind it or or the big cruise ship, you can't connect that in. So satellites kind of provide that connectivity in, in some circumstances where you, you, there's no other solution. It's just such a big business. You know, it's just one of those things that you literally need for everything. Yeah. and But you don't can't see it. <laughs> yeah, that's know? it. And that's part of our part of my job is to try to kind of articulate that to, to everybody that I meet that – that you use satellites every day and it's a really important part of your lives. Um, and there's a lot of really smart people in Australia that are you know, behind the scenes making that happen and and that it has a really significant economic impact, you know, for Australia. You know, there's, I saw a statistic uh, before I came today looking back at the uh, NASA Apollo program, which is Apollo, the program that took us to the moon, and they say that for every dollar of investment they got between 8 and $40 return directly or indirectly through the, the technologies that spun off. So, you know, all the problems that they faced to get there, they had to overcome those. And those technologies then turned into all sorts of incredible products that... You know, Highly valuable services Yeah, I mean, services most of life. the, you know, features of your smartphone came out of you know, a space-related industry, whether it be the, you know, the, the gyroscopes and the accelerometers in, in kind of solid state or, you know, cochlear implants, the technology behind that came out of the space industry. There's a lot of really incredible things that spin out. So... It's not just the direct use of it, whether it be to provide you with internet on the plane. It's it's also 
the approach to solving those problems can often be used in adjacent industries. But different applications. It, does, it doesn't, yeah, if, if solving a problem for one application or purpose doesn't mean that's all it's, it, it can be used for. It can be used for a whole multitude. Yeah, exactly. Someone in another industry says, oh, wow, we really needed to figure out how to use composite materials, you know, in that type of environment. So, you know, maybe we could work with you on that and you can share your IP or, you know, you might patent something and license it. So. And is there like a lot of talent in Australia? Um, I like to think Australian people are the smartest people in the world, but are there lots of talent in, in Australia in terms of uh, satellites, uh, you know, this type of, I don't even know what to call it, in terms of the space There's and defence and satellite talent. communications The, the industry is quite strange in the sense that Australia had a very strong space industry kind of in the 50s and 60s. You know, we were, we were the third or fourth country to launch a satellite from its own soil into orbit. Probably because we're so far from everyone else, we had to figure out how to communicate with them. Well, yeah, if it didn't go well, it didn't really result in anything bad. But, you know, you think of you know, America, Russia, these company, uh, companies, countries you know, launching satellites as being pretty straightforward. But, you know, Australia's number number three, I think it was. In the 50s so, and 60s. Yeah, so we were, we were right up there. And then as a result, there's a lot of people in my father's generation that have some great skills. But now, fast forward, a lot of those skills are retiring out. And we've now got the kind of, space 2.0 industry in its infancy. So there's a lot of incredibly smart people coming out of the universities now and entering into the startups, but kind of there is a gap in the middle and that's ah. the challenge for the industry. Where the technology and skills became kind of redundant due to Yeah, we've got the, the, we've innovation, got the smarts, we've got the really smart people, we just don't, and the, but the experience is starting to leave or has already left kind of the market. So how do we bridge those two gaps to make sure that you know we can bring the new, new solutions to the current problems but learn from the lessons of yesterday. Of, of yesterday's people. And I guess keep them in Australia, keep the talent here as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and the establishment of the Australian space industry back in 2018 went a long way to doing that because what having a space agency means for Australia is that simply from a, from a bureaucratic perspective, it can interface with other space agencies. So that, that's like NASA or the European Space Agency or the Japanese Space Agency, JAXA. So we've got our own NASA. It's just not called NASA. Yeah, absolutely. We have our own NASA uh, down in, in Adelaide. And and now because of that, we can start to participate in some of the programs because quite simply there was no mechanism for a company to to want to wanna get into the industry to interface with other agencies because there's a lot of collaboration that goes on um, in the space industry at, at all levels. It's just kind of inherent in, in how we deliver those services in the industry. Um, so now that we have that, it's it's great um, because companies can can start up and stay here. Beforehand, we had a lot of you know, brain drain where people would start the company and then move over to the USA. You know, for example, you know you, you, certain technologies can't leave the USA, so you have to launch an American satellite from American um, soil. Soil. Um, so that meant if I want to have a satellite, well then I've got to go take it to America. Why would I have a business set up in Australia if I can go and set, if I'm going to have to be in America to be where the action is, to be where the regulation supports me? And so now you can launch an Australian satellite. Absolutely. From Australia. Now we have companies that are that are building launch facilities in Australia. It's interesting. I heard uh, Elon Musk talking once about the importance of. Uh, the fundamental infrastructure uh, for companies to operate in. And he was talking about it in the sense of um, the infrastructure for uh, space exploration. You know, if if companies and people had the ability, that infrastructure was there, uh, like, you know, like our cabling is, our wiring, or like um, the internet provides infrastructure for, for Amazon to function and yeah. things like that. If space, if, if space uh, travel 
uh, was there, then companies could use that infrastructure to create business and to solve problems there. And so kind of, I feel like that's what you're describing. The infrastructure for our space industry in terms of satellite was not there. Australia's created, what was it called? That's awesome, the Australian Space Agency. Australian Space Agency, And that's yeah. given people like you and your incredible team the ability, the infrastructure that they didn't play on the global market in terms of offering, um, in terms of jumping in with your, with your business and, yeah, off, it's, it's and given, offering services. You know, it's a great incentive for Australian businesses to set up and solve problems in space because we can employ Australians, we can keep it all here and we can build this sovereign capability for Australia's benefit instead of kind of buying it from offshore. Wow. You're really smart. And, and and so you studied business, uh, which is pretty funny because it sounds like you, well, I mean, you, you probably just learned everything else by being surrounded by it. Was your old man quite uh, hands-on with your mentoring or what was his style of kind of getting you? Of, of- my father was very hands-on from a technical perspective. So I think I got my kind of curiosity and technical things from him, you know, just, just by, you know, spending time with him on, on holidays or, you know, go to an air show or something, you yeah. know. So I, I think I caught that kind of natural curiosity from him. Um, and this way of thinking. I had this conversation with someone yesterday. It, it's not like – so people that maybe have a parent that's quite a business person or a specialist in anything. It doesn't have to be a business person. It could be a biologist. Um, but just by being around them, you kind of pick up their way of thinking, the things they say, their mentality. You're not really being taught it. You're just seeing it. I spoke to – I was talking because my brother Tom is working uh, uh, with us at Cub now. Um, just to be in business and learn from the members and do that type of thing because uh, he's got aspirations to, to great, be a business Great environment person, to do that. Like best ever. Um, but but Calvin was saying yesterday uh, to the listeners, Calvin's our, our head of the CBD Clubhouse in Sydney, he was just saying, wow, Thomas is really – like he's, he's, he's really advanced – um, he's just on it. He's doing. He's doing so well. And I said, he, he goes, but he's so young. I don't know where he's learned. And I said, Man, that's all he's done his whole life. He's just heard about business, spoken about business, heard people talking about business, heard the mentality of it, seen struggles. That it's just as a child, you're absorbing, you know, the the environment you're in, and and it, that's how I would describe my lessons in business. It was just absorbing surroundings. Yeah, I agree. I think that's very similar for myself. But what I did end up seeing eventually is that um, probably the the Achilles heel of Avcom at the time was that we just didn't market ourselves or or sell ourselves very well. So a lot of you know smart people who had a you know could solve very complicated problems, but if we didn't tell anybody about it, you know we we weren't really growing as a business. And so I then decided it was a good idea to go to university and and study some 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 do my masters in in business at Sydney University, and. You know, retrospectively now I can see that the combination of, of being knowing how it's done from the beginning of my career to understanding why it's done from my, my academic side of it is now a really powerful combination. If you'd asked me early on in my career, I would have said, ah, oh, no, university, that's not for me. And if you'd asked me at university what I thought of it, I would have thought, oh, I don't really understand what this model, this why do I need to know Maslow's hierarchy or, you know, things like this. But, but now a few years out, I, I'm using those tools together to be more successful than, you know, than I could ever have hoped to have been. So those two things I think are very important. One or the other is good, but two together is very powerful. It was also pretty astute of you to notice though that 
all right, my father was, he's the, he's the technical one. Uh, he brought, he, you know, he, he created the technology, got the business established, but perhaps he, he didn't have the background in the businesses, the business side of, you know, marketing and, and all that, maybe even leadership and management and things. I'm going to go study that because I can bring that to the business and, and therefore elevate the business. I mean, for a young person, I don't know how old you were when you made that decision. but Not mine, not sure that I was so conscious of it back then, I think. I, I've been able to kind of put that together later on and understand that that's probably you – know, why did I go into project management to start with? Oh, that's because we weren't very good at project management. So, yeah. Well, it, it's – like my biggest regret was always not graduating university. I would have loved to have a degree. And there's a lot of hype right now about people, oh, I don't need uni, don't go to uni, it doesn't help, it doesn't help with your job and your career. And, you know, maybe it doesn't, I don't know, maybe companies don't care about, I mean, I certainly don't look at people have a degree when when they come to CUB. Maybe it doesn't help in that, but that does, that's not the only reason you go to help your career. You also go to learn some shit. It does teach you, you know? some great processes. So. Yeah, it does. It's like reading a book. It's the same thing. Whenever yeah, your I read lessons a book, learned that you apply. Yeah. yeah, whenever I read a book, I feel smarter. I'm sure going to university and learning from lecturers and, and professors and doing case studies, I'm sure that's going to make me smarter. So I'm pro-uni. I, 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 I think, think people should you know, go. Aptitude is you know, you've got to want it. I'll take someone who wants to do something else that might not know how to get there over someone that knows what they want, but you know, the reverse of that scenario. So for me, we, you don't need an, an engineering degree or, you know, a, a business degree to work at Avcom. You, you, you need to want to be there. You need to want to, to solve the problem, the challenges that are coming. And if you've got that, you'll figure out the bits you need along the way. No, I agree. But I, I think the kids at that uni age, they always they, they have the thing, like for me at that time, I was like, I don't care about learning. I don't want to learn. I'm not interested in learning right now. I was interested in other things and therefore I didn't do it. Whereas now all I want to do is learn all the time and it's like, Damn, I wish I could have. I wish I did that, you know. Then, and it's kind of like, if, I, if someone had forced me to do it, you know, I would have learned something. Although, would I have learned? I don't know. It's a weird argument. Uh, it sounds a lot like my, you know, high school. You know, for me, you know, I didn't understand why I was there. I didn't want to be there, so you know, it just didn't get the results. You know, people were trying to give you tutors and all the rest of it. But if you didn't want it, for me, it didn't understand. I was yeah. just being told to do something. But by the time I went to university and I wanted it, you know, it was such a different. Different story. Experience. Yeah. yeah. There, you know, I want to be there every every tutorial, you know, every session because I want, you know, I'm here to make sure I get all that knowledge and I'm going to take that knowledge off and do something better with it. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and so are you guys hiring a lot of people at the moment? Yeah, we're, yeah, absolutely. We're growing growing quite a lot. Um, and as, as you might not be surprised to hear, it's, it's hard, to, hard to attract the talent at the moment. There's a lot of people out there in the market. And um, so – one of our challenges is we're trying to hire more people and we've, we've actually lost a few people at the same time. So I've kind of got that um, being, being pulled back more into the business a little bit than I would have liked the to The whole be. club is. I'm telling you now, I'm sure you would have noticed in your core sessions, which um, for people, those that aren't members are, are one of our kind of networking platforms, our networking groups. Um, but the thing that chair, the chair people for the, core, for the core groups are telling us is pretty much everyone is bringing up staffing issues and pretty much everybody is um, is um, saying they're busier because they're working more in the business than they typically would because they're having to fulfil roles that are either new ro- new roles needed or roles that uh, people have left and they've got to fulfil, yeah, well, which that, in many exactly cases are worse. Yeah, that's what's happening. It's happening to everyone. We did that. So, did you see the survey we sent out in the Monday email? Yeah, I did. I did. So we actually found some really interesting um 
feedback from it. I'd be curious to, to get your opinion as well. But we found, so 85% of members are hiring, which is, an, that's a lot, it's almost 100% of people are growing yeah, their business. That's incredible. Which means the, something's try, something's happening in the economy. Like some, yeah, it's a very it, positive sign, isn't it? It gives it you is. kind of that confidence that everything's moving a little Yeah, well, it, it's trying to push forwards anyway. But 65% uh, had a problem with staffing, whether it be losing staff or trying to find staff. And just under 40%, said that staffing issues were the biggest issue their business were facing at the I, moment. I would say that's our biggest challenge. We, we've, I've got it twofold in the sense that our industry is in its well, space 2.0 is in its infancy. So we don't have a big pool to start from to go and kind of pick people up. Yeah. So we've a lot of the people you've got to develop. And so also for our business, it's just going through a big growth phase. So we're kind of adding in that extra layer of people to look after the people. And that's not quite there yet. So as we bring in people, you know, we have to people are asking me questions on, you know, well, what are the mentoring options for me? And they're kind of like, oh, well, actually, we haven't thought about that yet. So we have to kind of go back and quickly develop our plans and how we can support the people that we're bringing on better. And training people takes time. That's the thing. If you need people to come in straight and be straight up killers from the start, you know, if they need training, it's going to take time. So you've also got you hire them, but then you've got a year until they become yeah. what you actually need in your in your space. Um, I, I can imagine. But you know, we 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 have a similar situation because there's not other cubs. So when yeah. we're recruiting, it's very rare. Trying to recruit from an adjacent industry. Yeah, from random kind of people. Change to polish the, the Yeah, it's mostly what you were saying, which is people that want to be there. You know, some, some people come to Cub, they want to be there. They want to be surrounded by the, the, the business owners and There's they no want to learn. no substitute for passion. There isn't. There isn't. And so if people want some roles and they're – well, I mean, what type of background are people you're looking for? Maybe you could, we could get them to reach out to you. I don't know if, how many oh, it's, scientists it's a, it's and things we'll have on the <laughs> as, as the guest. Broad range. I mean, we're looking for – you know, project managers and technicians through to marketing and salespeople. Okay. Um, but they can know. reach out through your LinkedIn or your yeah, website. Yeah, absolutely. Reach out on, on LinkedIn and get in touch. We can we can tee up an interview and a conversation. No, oh, awesome. And you you mentioned your wife at the very start of the uh, the episode. And she's played a fairly large role in in your um, – Very much so. Yeah. And, and uh, I actually sense that from you because also I can imagine being 34 – uh, because you're also you're in a different situation than me. You're 34, but you inherited, uh, or you took over, sorry, this large, complex business um, that's in a space and industry that is, you know, I can't even imagine who, who you're having to deal with uh, on a regular basis and the size of the companies. And that is a daunting task. And and um, I can imagine needing or, or, or ha- how the support of someone in your corner, like uh, your, like your wife, right. having the support of my wife has been kind of you know, crucial to to get me to where I am in my career. You know, her support is is very very important. She's very 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 helpful when it comes to kind of you know, I can just share a problem with her, or she can she she can help me articulate um, my messaging for the business, or you know, when I'm writing a, a tender response or a proposal or something like that, she can really come along and and take what I want what I want to say and turn it into kind of what it needs to be to resonate. And and how did you guys meet? Uh, well, we met the, the old school way. We met at a bar at one of my friend's uh, birthdays. That is very old school. Yeah, the, the days before uh, apps on your iPhone and all the rest yeah. of it. So it's, uh, I think, 11 years this year. So wow. it's been a long time and, and uh, yeah, she's, she's a big part of my life. And how do you feel that, how, how do you feel that, 
she has the biggest impact on on and you as a as a business owner and as a leader what what are the the biggest uh, what's the biggest effect she has in terms of support it's exactly that that support you know you can talk to her about any problem you've got doesn't matter whether maybe I've I might have done the wrong thing or you know might have said something in the heat of the moment I can go and talk to her about whatever it is and and kind of get that honest feedback that I can then try and work on myself and improve there's not a lot of people you can share that kind of you know the, those those the pros and the cons with uh, with and, and and not feel you know guilty or, or ashamed or anything like that so having that there to help you kind of improve yourself is is very has been so special about it for me was she ever involved in the business yeah, she she was early on. We 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 did try to going down that path. So um, Camille came in and worked um, in in a marketing role. Um, that that really didn't work very well. Um, kind of, she wanted to work with me and, and not for me. And I tried to maintain a, a balance of I can't treat you differently because I agree. my staff will see that and, and then they'll think there's some, some favoritism here. And, I, and so that that didn't work out all that well. And so we we kind of we finished that off. Um, but you were dating before she came into the business. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Absolutely. but I think that would be that. That's still a positive in the long run because it would have brought. I mean, she would have gained a lot of insight into the business itself, and therefore is able to give you more. Uh, I guess a better perspective. Yeah, that outside net, perspective. Yeah. Sometimes I sit there thinking, you know, you think of a problem and you kind of make a bit of a storm in a teacup, or you, you get a bit cyclical in your thinking, and 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 she can come along and break through that and say, "What are you doing?" This is the obvious thing. That you, this is the real obvious thing that you need to do to, to resolve that. Or you know, you're overthinking this. It's 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 nothing. So having that that balance and that check there's. But and also being consistent with, as a leader, being consistent in terms of like how you treat people, is I think it's important. Like for example, I've had like my brothers working with me now. I've had cousins work uh, with me in the past. I reckon I'm harder on Tom. Uh, than I am in everyone else. So I think you should make a point to be harder on them. They're related to you. They've got your genetics. They should they should be working ten <laughs> well, times I harder. I don't think my wife would agree. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but, but I think you're hardest on the people that you see the, the, the brightest future for, and that's certainly kind yes, of how I find in mind. I think that's true. I, that definitely happens to me. Like so sometimes it could come across as, you know, maybe you're being a bit too hard on mean. someone, but it's only because you see the talent and the potential that they have that you want to push them to try and extract that. I completely agree. I'm so happy you said that. I'm going to write that down quickly because um, I find myself doing that all the time. It's like you start getting – like if someone wants to move up or tries to move up, well, in their, in your head, okay, you've moved up. Therefore, I'm holding you to a higher accountability. Yep. If I see stupid shit happen, you're not just going to know about it. I'm going to blow up because you can't make that. You want to be higher. Therefore, you're not allowed to make that mistake yeah, anymore. You are better than that. So. Yeah, exactly. That's so cool. That, I do that – all the time. You actually get meaner yeah, <laughs> until they yeah. get better and then you're like, all right. <laughs> That's it. That's got to get that careful balance somehow. Yeah. How, how would you describe your leadership style? Oh, it's probably my – it's a little bit rough around the edges. Like like I said, I, I like when I see that someone has potential then I'll, you know, I'll try and – I want to try and extract that from them. I want to see them level up. I, I, you know, I, that's how, how I was brought up with my father. He kind of pushed me to be better and I kind of see that that kind of – that little bit of tough love is, is important but – doesn't work for everybody. I recognise that now with probably some of our talent issues. So now I'm trying to go back and try and understand what people need. People coming into the business now are coming into the business for a different reason than, than they kind of our our core staff. And so understanding what they why are they joining and what do they want to get out of it and, and how can we help them is key to keeping the talent. Interesting, interesting though observation because new people are very different. 
to people that have been there long term. Oh, yeah. You've got to recognise that. You can't treat them the same because they're not. New people are not – it's not theirs yet. They don't feel yet like it's Yeah, they theirs. have that to be in the trenches when yeah. something's been going wrong and then overcome that and yes. have that kind of – that sense of success, but also that sense of, oh, geez, are we, are we ever going to solve this problem? And, yeah, yeah until that, you build yeah, that you kind of camaraderie. You haven't great. gone to war together. You haven't fought side by side. You know the team you went through COVID with? You fought with those people. You know, yeah, you know you can survive some fucking bullshit with them. So you're bonded. And then you get new people come. And, I mean, the, the goal is that they become that that uh, special forces uh, ops <laughs> in your army. That's, that's the goal. But you have to recognise that when they get there, yeah, if it's a jo- for them. It's it's a job for now, you know. Until they get the, until you're able to provide them with the purpose, the the fulfillment, the the community and the support and and and, and yeah, nurture. So you can show them, yeah, that there's a community here, yeah. that, and that we all care. And they for you. thrive and give them the tools. And then I, I reckon it takes about a year. After a year, then you start. No- like I've started noticing with 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 uh, new team members, it's, they're always good. But you can tell there's a difference between someone who is their company and someone who it's their job. It's the bolt on to their yeah. life kind of thing. But, but after about a year, if your company culture is correct, what I found at Cub anyway, is then they start they start doing things that a staff member wouldn't do. That's that's not a staff member anymore. That that they now Taking became that responsibility a team. To, you know, they see that something's lacking and they step in. They do. I agree. I think from 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 my business, about six months, we can see whether someone's going to be a fit or not. And then twelve months, yeah, they're they're in, they're kind of really part of the team, part of the community. Yeah, it it, it does take that time. It does take that, that that's time. That's hard because when you're in a growth industry, you know, you want to you want to sprint now, you want to run down everything, but you can't necessarily. You got to kind of get your ducks in a row and get your house in order. Yeah, I'll tell you what I do. What I tell people in in their um, like when they're starting in the interviews, I, I mean, I probably Sam and Laura, well, Laura, I can't remember what I said to her. I was probably twenty four when I met her, but. But Sam, uh, I probably would have said it to him, to the listeners, Sam's part of our marketing team. Um, and I said it to someone, we hired someone yesterday. I said it to them too, which was business is just a vehicle. It gets you from point A to whichever point you're trying to get to. And I told them Cubs are very fast, shiny, sexy vehicle, <laughs> but but it's still a vehicle and it's going to get you somewhere. And that way you're it, you're telling them it's it's for them. You know, it's kind of like – maybe right now you just want to learn and have a great job and you want to leave and do your own thing. And, but whatever that case is, it's a vehicle. And when they think, okay, it is a vehicle, like you're not telling them, hey, Cub's yours, you got to act like an owner, yeah, go do that. And they're not going to do that. But if you tell them, hey, it's a vehicle for you to get what you want and we're going to give you the tools and get, we're going to give you the right dry steering wheel, we're going to make sure the brakes work properly, we're going to make sure your airbags are fucking beautiful. That you know, if you if you have a bit of an incident a crash, you're safe. You know, and when you give them the nice vehicle, then very quickly, they in there and they're in the driver's seat and what they're doing, their purpose. Very quickly, they're like, "This is my car. I start. You know, I can take down the window. I can. I I know how to use this car now. When it becomes their car, they start driving for you. You can sit in the back seat. Yeah, that's, and that's, and that's uh, the goal. Yeah, that's it. Takes want time. them to take the the ownership of what they're doing and, and take pride in it and that. For me, that's that's the end goal of, of, of anyone that's working with us to try and get them to take some ownership and then get them to, to want it and be a part of it and shape it and, you know, see what they can get out of it, you know, yeah. what's in it for them as well as, you know, what's in it for the company. Yeah, because it is for them. Like it is people care about themselves. Like that's pr- priority number one is myself. And my opinion, 
priority number one for a human being is yourself, myself. Um, but And there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's fantastic because when you know that and you understand that, then it's about making this the best place for that person. Yeah, I completely agree. And then they stay because it's the best place, whether it be – it doesn't have to be the best paid. It doesn't have to be the best um, office or the, the biggest team or the best clients. Or it, It's the best all around. So you, you've got to try and find – what works for that person, uh, this type of earning with the best culture and team and, and you know, I don't know, there's different. Yeah, you got to find the right people and, and what your right motivating mm. kind of components are of your of your business. Mm. And, and make it best for them. You make it safer. I, I've always been – the person who's a leader, naturally, you can see it in companies, in my opinion, is the person people are like, that's the guy that I would want to save me from something. Like that, I'm better off being with that person than I am being by myself or yeah. being alone or being with another person. Uh, that person's going somewhere. They can stick fight. Yeah, they can yeah. fight off some shit and I'm going to stick with them. And if they have that confidence and you're not a tyrant and just treating everyone like a piece of shit, you're, you're actually yeah, a good absolutely. human being. You that want people work. to grow because by them growing, you become stronger as, as the leader. That's leadership in my opinion. Yeah, well said. I can't imagine you being like a bit – are you fiery at the office though or are you more oh, composed? Not too, I'm a, more composed, probably more passive-aggressive than fiery. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look, it, it, you know, when it's when it's your business and when, you know, you've been a part of it and built it up, you, it's hard to not feel a lot of personal responsibility, a lot of personal emotion to do with things. So, you know, it's, it's got times you got to keep that in check when you're – working through things with, with with your staff because they see it from a different prism that you do. And, you know, some people that are joining us now, you know, it's, it's the good times. They get to travel around, you know, working in some incredibly interesting places. Uh, they, they weren't there 10 years ago when, you know, you're in the trenches kind of, you know, not sure what you're going to do next. So And not getting paid and, and, much and you shouldn't expect them. Yeah, exactly. And you shouldn't yeah. expect them to, 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 you know, they weren't there. It's, why, why would they care, you know, yeah. what the troubles are, what the challenges you've gone through are. But... You know, sometimes you got to somehow you got to find a, a path between the two points. Yeah, and I always tell like that. That's also true. The newer staff they have it easier. They, their wages are higher. Their jobs are easier. Yeah, there's the more systems people in the are team. better. Yeah, the processes yeah, are in place. Like, oh, and this the is old great. staff are like, oh, that yeah. What, why do they get started? It's like, no, you got to remember that it's better that you started earlier and went through the shit. Yeah, because that loyalty you became goes stronger. a long way. You it know, does. it's not lost, particularly oh. in a small private business. You I know, think you, it's, you hold on to that. I think it's the most important thing. You want the you our want, team members are our family. You know, if yes. it, we'd be there for, for anything. Yeah, you want to know if I was um, working at a company, I'd want to know. I'm never going anywhere. Doesn't matter what I do. Like if, if I'm, as long as I'm not doing anything horrib- horribly malicious or some bullshit. But <laughs> but you know, I'm this. I'm here. I can't lose this. This this is me. So I'm not going anywhere. And I think that yeah, there's a place for you. you. You're a part of the furniture. You're, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I am cup. That's how you know. Yeah, I, 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 what do you mean? I, can't, I couldn't not be here. It wouldn't. It wouldn't work. So I, I think that's a good thing. I, I lost point of what we we're talking about. Um, all right. Well, uh, as you can hear, this and as you might hear some banging side effects of being uh, podcasting from home, but um, and also highlights how difficult work from home is going to be when you live in apartment buildings when people start renovating and things. We didn't have to worry about that during COVID, but. Again, I'm not the biggest work from home fan, so I'm going to just stick that point in there. What do you do? You guys work from home much? We we offer it, but I kind of you know a lot of what we do is involves collaboration. So you kind of need to come into the office and and talk with yeah. people and and just sit there whiteboarded out. So yeah. certainly it's it's an option to people. You know, I worked from home yesterday, for example. Yeah. Um, 
but ultimately it's up to them. My big thing was work from home. You've got to come into the office a little bit, otherwise it just doesn't work. 85% of members said that work from home negatively impacted their company culture, the the work from home policies. And um, can't remember the other one, but also conveniently, I love going into the city on Mondays because the literal the city's empty. There's no traffic on the way in. There's no traffic oh, on the way. Having no traffic was such a great thing about COVID. It was our offices stayed open, so we were, you know we could drive around no problem. But now everyone's back uh, back in the traffic. So yeah, but they're not on Mondays. That's what I'm saying. Work from home's fine. No one wants to work from home. No one wants to work from the office. Monday, Monday, I'm, I'm, it's much more convenient for me to just stay home. Sleep in, work off a hangover. Yeah, work, you know, yeah, work you know like work, yeah. why do you work from Tuesday? Yeah. <laughs> Fridays and Mondays. No, no. <laughs> anyway, I'm just talking shit. But, but um, man, thank you so much for, for coming on the episode. Uh, all right, we do have to wrap it up. As you can hear, there's some jackhammering happening upstairs. Uh, but if you want to reach out to Michael, you can go to cub.club forward slash podcast and find his contact details. You can find his LinkedIn, uh, uh, Avcom Space and Defense website. Uh, if you're looking for a job and you're a project manager, engineer, what else was there? Oh, sales, marketing. Sales, marketing. It's the, it's, imagine working in the space industry. If you're industry. passionate about space, get in, get in contact so with Even us. I'm thinking about doing it. Um, uh, and uh, if you want to catch up with Cub on Instagram, go to at Club United Business on Instagram. You'll find uh, tons of cool things there. Michael, thank. I really feel like we could have spoken another hour. Yeah, easily. Anyway, thank you for coming on. Thank you very much. Homie. And thank you for being involved in Cub too. You know, we, oh. we love having you in the club. Thank you for setting it up. All right, to the listeners, I hope you enjoyed the show.